one of the longest weekends of the year, I think. I think people on Thursday were starting the weekend. At least they were in my neighborhood. I haven't heard as many firecrackers and fireworks in, in my life, I think. And uh, in fact, I looked out my window last night as I heard them, and they were actually beautiful. They were just a block away. And whoever was shooting them, um, lots of trees in the falls, so it's a little dangerous to, for that to happen. But uh, I hope you've had a wonderful weekend just, uh, just to rest and enjoy family. And maybe you've done a little bit of a traveling, but aren't you glad that we live in a free country? I'm going to say that again. Aren't you glad that we live in a free, free country? Amen. And really, we as believers, the importance of our freedom is not just for freedom's sake. The importance of our freedom is for the gospel's sake. And as long as America remains a free nation, we have a freedom to give, we have a freedom to go, and we have a freedom to do what we're doing this morning, to gather without any resistance, without any hindrances. We can gather and we can worship freely, and um, it's a beautiful thing to live in a free country and a a special thanks to those of you that have served in the military that provide that freedom for us. Uh, we thank you so much for that. Take your Bibles, if you will. We're going to turn to the little epistle of James near the end of the New Testament. James. And uh, I love the book of James because it's just straightforward. It's just kind of an in-your-face kind of book. James just says it like it is. Some of you who are like that as people will appreciate that too. You just kind of say things as they are, and James was like that, and uh, James wrote this little epistle uh, to a scattered group of Christians, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, and uh, for the next seven weeks of our summer, summer gatherings, our summer times of worship, we're going to be working our way through the book of James, and so we're going to be doing a little preaching and teaching through the book of James and taking some key passages and lifting them up before you and teaching them to you. And uh, so for the next seven weeks, I, I've got two challenges for you, two summertime challenges. And summertime oftentimes is a kickback time, you know, kickback from school, kickback from schedule, kickback from regular routine. And uh, sometimes in doing that, some of the challenges of just our regular schedule aren't in place. And so I take this opportunity when you're kicking back to offer you two challenges for the next six weeks concerning the book of James. Now, if how many of you are turned to book of James? Okay, you've got it there. If you just maybe turn one, two, three, maybe four pages, that's James. Maybe some of you five, right? Okay? Some of you can read that in ten minutes. Sometimes you can read four or five pages if you're a great reader. You can read that in seven to ten minutes. What I want to encourage you, your first challenge the, the next six, seven weeks is every week I'd like you to read the book of James, okay? You can read it in one sitting. You can read it a chapter a day. There's five chapters. You can take a chapter a day for five days, but I challenge you for this week to read through the entire book of James, and then the following week, read through the entire book of James. It's a wonderful way to get an overview of an entire book. It's a great way to get a feel for the content of the book. And so when you come on Sundays to hear the teaching and preaching, you're going to have some background in your mind. You're going to have kind of a, a place from which Pastor Matt and I can speak into your lives. And so I encourage you for the next seven weeks, every week. Now, you might sit down at 9 o'clock on Saturday night and go, i got to read the book of James. That's great. Read the book of James. You know, however you want to do it, you know, read the book of James. And then secondly, 
I'd like you to key into a verse that you could commit to memory. And I know if you're over 40, you're just going, what? I can't memorize anything. Well, give me your address, your PIN number, your social security number. You've got, you've got stuff in your brain that you've memorized. And so we can memorize scripture. These, this is the verse, two verses actually, that James 1, 2, and 3, Pete, I'd like you to put up there. These are the two very short verses that are married together that I'd like you to take on for this week to commit this to memory, okay? Here we go. I'd like us to say these verses together. Okay, let's read them together. Let's begin. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Okay? So your homework assignment, if you will, I'll be teacher Cindy for a minute, is read that book of James. And then a great way is to take these two verses and put them on an index card, pop them onto your phone, your tablet, whatever you use a lot, and review them. I was sitting uh, on Bailey Road behind a train for about six minutes this week, just six minutes. And I thought, I need James 1, 2, and 3 in front of me, you know, to, to redeem that time. So that's your, that's your um, encouragement for the week, book of James and then these two verses. All right, let's zoom out a little bit and let's look at the book of James uh, chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first seven verses, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning uh, I know everybody in this room at some time or another has had a trial in their life. You've been through a test. You don't have to live for very long to go through something difficult and something hard. What in the world as Christians are we supposed to do when the test comes, when the trial comes, when the hard thing arrives in our lives? What are we to do? Well, James starts this book by talking about that. And let's begin with verse 1. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Who is writing to us this morning, this book of James? Well, it is James himself, the brother of Jesus, also known as James the Just. He was a leader in the church at Jerusalem, and he was an early Christian martyr, like many, all of the disciples actually, except the apostle John, lost their lives as martyrs for the faith, and James did so in 62 A.D., Notice James's attitude about himself, even though he has a little bit of a pedigree. James could have announced himself as the brother of Jesus. 
I mean, how many folks could claim that? Not many. I'm the half-brother of Jesus. Listen up. I have a letter for you to read, and you better take to heart what I have to say. No, he didn't, uh, he didn't uh, address uh, these Christians in that way. He could have said, hey, I am a church leader. I'm the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Listen up. I'm the big cheese. I'm the boss. I have something to say, so listen up. You don't see any words like that from James in these introductory verses. He says, notice his description, James, verse 1, a bondservant, that's the new King James. Some of you might have a slave. A slave. He says he's a slave to Christ. He's a bondservant to Christ. He's, he's committed to Christ to his death no matter what. And it's on that basis that he is writing this little book to these 12 tribes. Notice his audience there in verse 1. He's writing to 12 tribes scattered. And these 12 tribes have a Jewish understanding, and they are also believers in Christ. And he calls these scattered believers the 12 tribes. Now they are scattered. Why? They've been scattered out from Jerusalem and Judea because of the persecution that was taking place. Now, the persecution that they were enduring wasn't workplace persecution. I'm sure some of you have uh, had that go on for you. Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, ha, 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 ha. We just make fun of you for that. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing positive about being a Christian. You're narrow. You're, you're you know, you're, well, you can fill in the rest. You know, you just are you know, persecution. And we as Christians in America say, oh, we're just persecuted. We're, we're, persecution is so hard in America. Oh, my friends, <laughs> the persecution in America is nil. Comparatively speaking to the other places in the world and comparatively speaking here to the people that James was addressing, they had relocated their lives because the persecution was so great. And so they were scattered. They were distant from the body of Christ proper within Jerusalem. They were distant probably from family members. They were scattered. And here James begins to talk to them in verse 2 about something that was probably near and dear to their heart. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. In other words, I get it. You're going through a trying time, a testing time. And so let me speak to you first about the thing that's probably most on your mind, is why is life so hard? If we've believed in Jesus, and he's the way, the truth, and the life, and he's victorious, and he's an overcomer, then why are we scattered away from Jerusalem, and why is life so hard? Why are we being persecuted? And James knew that that was the heart of what the church was facing, and so he begins this little book with the whole theme of trials. And what to do in the midst of these trials. Now, for us in America, trials were once believed to be uh, prevalent among those that were not doing life right. If you were having trials, if you were having difficulties, then, then there are probably things in your life that you're not doing right, and so therefore you're going through these tests or these trials. There was an idea, and there continues to be an idea out in Christianity today, that if you are a devoted follower of Jesus, 
and you are living an obedient life and you are following Christ and you are giving your life to him and you are serving him, you are insulated from trials. Has that been anybody's experience? No, trials come. Trials are a part of the Christian experience. And here James, speaking to believers, includes trials because that's what they are experiencing. And notice he says there, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of trials. Trials and tests come in all shapes and sizes, all types of trials. They could be the trial of a health concern or a health issue. You were just fine. You were feeling just fine. And then something happened and you found out there's a health concern. There's an illness. There's a disease. There's a test. There's a trial. They come in the types of family troubles. Family is just going fine. Everything seems to be moving along just fine. And then all of a sudden, boom, we've got trouble. We've got trouble in the family. We've got trouble in the marriage. We've got trouble with the kids. Trial. Here's a trial, maybe an interruption to the way you had planned your life. Chuckle, chuckle. <laughs> and for those of you that are younger among us, you might think, well, what's the big deal with that? You know, I'm going to plan my life and it's going to turn out that way. Oh, well, let me just explain a couple things to you. Life has a way of changing course and moving in directions and things happening that we had never planned to happen. You never planned that death. You never planned that family problem, that trial with your daughter or with your son. You never planned financial hardship. You never planned those things. I don't think any of us sit down at 21 and say, let me just plan in a few trials in my life. Let's say at age 30, 42, and 65. We don't plan trials. And they come in a variety of, of types. And here's the dilemma for us as believers. Oftentimes we want to know why. Do you ever ask that question? Why me? Why did this happen to me? What is the source? Where did this come from? Why did this happen to me and not to her or not to him? And we want to figure it out. I just want to encourage you this morning, don't try to figure it out. You won't be able to. You can't. Why is not the question to ask when the trial comes? <laughs> Why is really not the question to ask? It, it's not a question that will be answered. Now, before we go on and look at verses 3 and 4 a little bit closer this morning, I, I want to just interject something that's not really represented here in the passage, because I want to honor the passage as James has spoken it. But let me just kind of speak a little bit of a sidebar here to you this morning. Um, sometimes trial and hardship is a consequence of a sinful choice. Okay? Now, James is not talking about those types of trials. He's talking about something else, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. I know in my life, and I will, I will say this before you, there are times that I've enter, entered a testing or a trial period of my life because I've made a bad choice. I've made a bad decision. 
Maybe it's been relationally or financially or in some other way. Maybe it's been a choice to engage in sin. And with sin comes consequences. And when we face the consequence of the sin, we can't say, oh, we're just going through a trial. Don't know where it came from. Don't know why it happened. It's just, I'm going through some hard times. A lot of times it's good for us as believers to take the trial by the end of the tale and work our way back to the place where, oh, that decision that I made, that choice that I made, led me to this consequence. That's what I'm going through. Okay? Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. He says this, familiar verses. Do not be deceived. In other words, don't be faked out. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So what you sow in life is going to come back. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit will reap eternal life. The whole sowing and reaping thing, it's never going to go away. We're never going to outsmart it. We're never going to be able to run fast enough from it. It's just a rhythm that God has put into place in our life. Just like we are enjoying vine-ripe tomatoes today. Why are we enjoying them today? Somebody planted them in late April, early May. So we're enjoying those vine-ripe tomatoes today. The laws of sowing and reaping, although we're not as familiar with them, are still a part of the rhythm of this Christian life. And so my encouragement to you, especially those of you who are young among us here this morning, sow well. Sow obedience, sow into the Spirit, sow into the Lord. Pattern your life after Christ. Do the things he's calling you to do. Be obedient to the things he's telling you to do. And in doing so, you're sowing good seed into your life so that when you're 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 years old, if God gives you that many to live, There'll be all kinds of seeds that'll be coming up and springing up into your life that will be blessings, that will be the Spirit, that will be good things from God. Where do those good things come from? Sowing previously. So I encourage you, in your sowing today, especially to those of you that are younger here this morning, don't be surprised that a trial might be the consequence of of a choice. Okay? Now, in the text this morning, when he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, he's referring to another type of trial here this morning. Notice he uses the word fall. When you fall into various trials. The NIV says when you face various trials. Falling isn't something you plan. I've never planned to fall. I don't know about you. But falling isn't something that you ever plan to do. Falling is something that just happens. It comes on you suddenly. It's accidentally. It's out of no choice of your own. It's it's out of the blue. It seems to come from nowhere when you fall. In Luke 10.30, when we talk about and think about the Samaritan story and and the man that's on the road, and he gets rescued by the good Samaritan. You remember that story? 
The only other place in the scripture where this word is used is when he is coming along the road and he falls into the thieves, the robbers. He falls prey to them, an accident, something that that is not planned on. Now notice James also says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That means it's going to (laughs) happen. It's just going to happen. No matter how carefully you take steps in life, there are going to be things about life that are just going to happen to you you're going to fall into trials and tests. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised as a believer that tests and trials come. A lot of times believers go, I don't understand why that happened to me. I don't understand why I'm in a trial, why I'm in a test. What what did I ever do? Where did that ever come from? That's the whole point. Trials and tests have no announced announcement into your life. I'm a trial and a test. I'm coming next Friday at 3 o'clock. Be prepared. You know? Trials don't do that. And you know what? The God who is sovereign over the trials doesn't announce them to us either. They just come. What makes the difference in my life and in your life when a trial comes? Trials are going to come. That's a fact. We can't dismiss that. So what's going to make the difference for you and what's going to make the difference for me when the trial comes? It's our perspective. It's our perspective. Here's a perspective that we oftentimes hear, maybe we even say this ourselves. Why me? What did I do to deserve this? God must be mad at me. It's unfair. You know, I've been serving God all these years and now this. Is God worth serving? Now, let me just offer something to you here. You know, the things that we incur in this life are very seldom based on how good or how bad we're doing. That's our mindset. If we do good things, then only good things are going to happen to us. If we do bad things, then only bad things will be happen to us. And so let's be about doing good things so we can keep the bad things from happening to us. My friends, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Things are going to happen to us. And so we can't say about that that we must not have been good enough. We must not have been holy enough. We must not have been righteous enough or these things would have not happened. Or, here's another perspective. I'm going to consider what is tough as pure joy. Now, James is not saying here, trials are joy. He's not saying trials are joy. He would be encouraging poor mental health if he said trials equal joy. So we say, no, for sure, that's not the case. But what he is saying here is, I'm going to consider the fact that this tough thing has come as joy. I'm going to consider it as joy. Here's some reasons why. First of all, God's hand is on it. And God's hand is on you. Remember the story of Job. First chapter of Job. It's a great little piece of his story to read because we see how that Satan comes to to the Lord, comes to the Father and says, 
If you remove all the stuff from Job, if you let trials and hardships and testing come to Job, I'll convince him to not serve you. And we know what God did. Job 1.12 talks about how that God said, okay, Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself, don't touch him. You can touch his stuff, you can touch his health, you can introduce him to trials and tests and problems, but you can't lay a finger on him, you can't touch him. Let me encourage you today. When trials and tests come into your life, and you will face them again and again, realize this, in the midst of it all, that God, if it came to you, it came through the hand of God. There's nothing that comes to you as a believer that's outside of the hand of God, where he goes, oh, I'm so surprised. Kathy, I'm sorry. That blindsided me. I didn't even know that was going to come to you. I'm really sorry. It's just outside of my knowledge and outside of my plan and outside of my hand. I'm really sorry. I need to watch out for you better the next time. God says if it's coming to you, it's coming because his hand is on you and he's holding you and the trial. And so when trials and tests come, you're not alone. You're not abandoned by God. God doesn't hate you. God's not mad at you. He already poured his wrath out on his son. So he's not mad at you. He's holding you in the palm of his hand in the midst of that test and that trial. A trial cannot get to you unless it comes through the hand and the sovereignty of God. I love this. There is no meaningless trial or hardship. There is a cause There is a reason, and there is a redemption. Don't ever look at a trial or a test and say, I just kind of need to blow through this and get over it and get by it because it means nothing. It's just a hard thing, and I just got to get over it. Oh, my friend, the test and the trial has God's hand on it. That test and that trial, and upon you in that test and trial. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Cindy does the first thing that you talked about Is there a disclaimer on that? Is there a disclaimer on the sinful choice that led to a consequence that led to a trial? Let me just tell you, God's a redeeming God. That's the beautiful thing. He's a redeeming God. He takes the mistakes, the bad choices, the sinful choices, and when they're confessed to him, he redeems those choices and he makes good of them. Isn't that amazing? He makes good of them. I used to do needlepoint a little bit. And if you're a good needlepointer, what you're able to do is you're able to tie off the back strings and make it look pretty. I wasn't like that. If you take a nice piece of needlepoint and you look at the finished side and you see the beauty of the colors, the beauty of the words, the intricacy of all the work, it's time-consuming, it's very detailed work for those of you that have done it, for those of you that appreciate it. And when you look at the beautiful picture on the side that you're going to frame and hang and put on your wall, you could admire it and look at it and see the rhythm and the sense and the symmetry and the purpose and the message. It's all right there before you. 
But if you take that piece of tapestry and you turn it over, it's a mess. It's just a mess. Knots and strings and things tucked in and one color and another color. And you just look at that and you think, how in the world can anything on the reverse side of this come out to look anything beautiful when you see this? My friend, that's the beauty of redemption. That's the beauty of God's grace. When we take our failed decisions and our sinful choices and we lay them at the cross and we give them to the Lord, he takes those and he weaves them and he crosses them and he tucks them and he shapes them. And on the flip side, your life and my life becomes a beautiful tapestry. So if you're enduring and have endured trials because of poor choices and sinful decisions in your life, there's redemption. There's grace that brings those pieces of thread into something beautiful in your life. Why in the world are there tests and trials? You know, it would be better news that I could give you today that your character and my maturity could be developed outside of trials. You know, I wish it were so. Don't you? Just, you know, life is good, everything goes fine, everything adds up the way that it should, nothing ever disappoints us, nothing ever goes wrong, and then we become mature and whole and perfect and Christ-like and glorifying to God. Wouldn't that just be wonderful? It doesn't work that way. Think of your own life, and think of the things that God has brought you to and the places in your life where he's brought you to, he's probably brought you there through a trial. He's probably brought that maturity in you through testing. And James says it right here. He says, knowing, verse 3, that the testing of your faith produces endurance or patience or perseverance. Trials, my friend, test your faith. It tests your not having faith, it tests your faith in Christ, your salvation faith. It's a tester. Trials are a tester. And it tests our faith to let us know, is it genuine or is it fake? Is it genuine or is it fake? If your faith is genuine and a test comes, your heart still says, I believe. If your faith is genuine and the test comes, your heart says, I still trust you. If your faith is genuine and a test comes, you say, I will follow you and I will obey you and I will live for you in the middle of this test. That is genuine faith. If faith is not genuine, it gets burned up. It it gets eliminated. It's, It's removed because the fire of the test burns up The chaff burns up the insincere faith, the fakeness of faith. There's really no faith in Christ in the middle of trials if it gets burned up. Trials make devoted followers increasingly devoted or mere fans just castaways. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Take a moment and go with me there as we finish the message this morning. First Peter chapter 1. Just a book away. First Peter 1, 6 and 7. 
Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is being tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Faith brings endurance. Faith brings perseverance. Faith faith brings steadfastness as it's placed under the fire of tests and trials. That's how we become mature. My nephew decided to leave baseball. Bad choice. That's a that's a Aunt Cindy editorial. My nephew Landry is a good baseball player. And uh, I don't know if he listens to my messages online or not, but anyhow. Hi, Landry. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Landry's a good baseball player, and he's left baseball to be a football player. And he's been working out since Christmas time, preparing to be this football player. He's going to have a rude awakening because. He's going to be entering in August the fire, the test, the trial. Two-a-days. Two-a-days. Right now he hasn't endured two-a-days. And if, you've, if you know much about it, two-a-days are intended to beef up, to strengthen the endurance of the players so that when they get in a game, they can endure, they can sustain their energy. They can accomplish what they need to accomplish as a runner or as a fullback or as a blocker or whatever position that they play. They step up the intensity of the practice so they can endure the game. He's going to have these two-a-days. We're going to see how he, how he does with these two-a-days. Tests and trials are two-a-days. They come because God wants us to get mature and persevere and endure and not give up. Why is the church in America under testing and trial? Because God's trying to get maturity out of us. He's trying to get us to persevere, to endure, to hold on, to forge the way with the gospel in these days and not give up. And so tests and trials come so that we will persevere. We will be strong. We will finish the race that God's intended for us. To, to finish. Finally, in the middle of the trial, there's help. Verse 5. This is an interesting verse because oftentimes pastors and teachers take verse 5 and lift it up out of context. And it's a good verse. It stands on its own. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Good verse. Notice the context of this verse. Trials, problems, tests, pressures. This is where wisdom comes to our aid, comes to our aid, but it only comes, notice what James says, if we ask for it. Wisdom will just not appear to you in the middle of a test or trial. I'm going through something hard. I wish I would get some direction. Oh God, just, you know, I'm waiting. Somebody, I wish somebody would come over and somebody would call me on the phone. Somebody would just help me. James says, You need wisdom in the middle of your trial? Ask. And notice the way he asks, the conditions he he puts on the asking. You have to ask in faith, believing you're going to get it when you ask it. Oh, I I prayed for wisdom, but I don't don't know if God's really going to 
give it to me. I don't know really if it's going to come through. Oh, it won't. <laughs> it won't come through. But if in the middle of a test or a trial, you go to God and say, God, I need wisdom to know what to do and how to look at this trial. Give me your wisdom. And when he answers, then you walk in what he tells you to do. You walk in what he shows you to do. That's an evidence of your faith, that you do what God has asked. God gives wisdom to be heeded. He gives wisdom to be, to be carried out, to be obeyed. That's why he gives wisdom. Not so we can scrutinize it and say, well, that's a, that's a good answer, God, but that's really not the one I was looking for. That, that's a great direction, but you know, I just don't, it's really not convenient for me to do that right now in the middle of this trial. I mean, I'm in a trial, God. And God goes, well, yeah, I know you're in a trial. And you've asked me for wisdom. And here it is. And the wisdom is meant to be lived, heard, done something with. That's why God gives us the wisdom. And he promises it here. And notice he gives it without reproach. He doesn't scold us and go, you know what? You know, you're just, you're just not the... You're just not the kid I, I expected. You're, you're just not living up to what I hoped for, you know? If you wouldn't have made some decisions the way that you did, you wouldn't be in this pickle that you're in, you know? You were blindsided by this trial, you know? And now you're asking me for wisdom? You know what? God will never say that to you. Why? James says he gives it liberally without scolding or reproach or correction or judgment. He's not giving wisdom with judgment. He's giving wisdom liberally to help to help. So he says, ask me, ask me for wisdom. I'll give it. I won't scold you, but ask in faith. Ask in faith. Believe that I'm going to give you the wisdom that I'm, that you're asking for. And when I give it, do it. And when I give it, live it. And when I give it, speak it, see it for what I've given to you. So the question today is not, will we have trials? That's, a, that's an answer that we can all answer. Yeah, we're going to have trials. Trials are not an indicator of your spiritual condition, although that's a good place to start. God, is this trial a result of a, is a consequence of a bad decision that I've made? That's a good place to go in prayer. But when the answer is no and the trial has come, then the question is, God, can I ask you for wisdom? Show me. Open my eyes to see what I need to see to do what I need to do in the midst of this trial because there's no throwaway trial. Every trial is to bring in you and in me perseverance, endurance, and maturity. How are we going to grow up in the faith when we consider trials joy and we ask God for wisdom? in the middle of those trials. I know all of you, and myself included, I look at giants in the faith. People, whether they're missionaries or speakers or preachers or, or you know, television personalities that are Christians, whatever they might be, a, a, you know, a, a singer, a whomever, and you, you look at their lives and, and you put them up on a pedestal and you just think, you know, they're just like the biggest most giantest Christian that I know, the, the, just the top of the game. They're just so strong and they're so, so bold in their faith and they're outspoken and they just, they're everything that I want to be as a believer. And you think, oh, I wish I could get there. Oh, no, you don't. 
the road they've traveled to get to that place is a road filled with trials. And on that road, they've asked God for wisdom, and they've persevered. And that's why they're there. And you know what? That's how you get there. And that's how I get there, is to persevere with God's wisdom through our trial. No trial is wasted in your life or in mine. No testing should ever be wasted in your life or mine. But they will bring maturity as we ask for wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the words of James today. Life is filled with tests and trials. We're all going to face them. They're all coming or have come. And Lord, you've given us a perspective here this morning that maybe uh, we've needed. Because maybe some of us in this room have been a little downtrodden and we've been looking down because we're going through something hard. And something we don't understand. It's blindsided us. It's come, come out of the blue and we just don't know why. We're going through something hard right now. And Lord, I just pray this morning for us that we would not ask the question why, but we would ask the question what? What, Lord? What do you have for me in the midst of this testing, and this trial? What are you doing inside of me? How are you making me mature? How can I endure? How can I persevere with my eyes on you? with my eyes on you. And so, Lord, today I pray that you'll give us that fresh perspective about tests and trials. And, Lord, not that tests and trials are joy. They're not. But, Lord, that we would consider them joy because what they're doing in us, what they're doing in us to make us mature and complete and to give us the strength to endure. And so thank you, Lord, that you give us wisdom in the middle of of trials and tests. I pray, Father, that this congregation would look to you for that wisdom, not get caught in the griping and the complaining of a test, but that we would lift our eyes and say, God, give me wisdom in the midst of this test and trial that I might honor you and that you might mature me. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.